Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete, where we interview badass, high-performing individuals to learn more about their competitive spirit and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. Well, I'm here with Kent Carter from Houston, Texas. He is a racing teammate of mine for the last two years. Yep. And we are at Road Atlanta here um, doing some racing with the SCCA group. I'm not racing. But I wish you were. I know. I wish I was here too. Uh, it'll be next year. I'll get back into it for sure. Great. But um, I drove here because I wanted to interview people like you who've been racing for a long time. They have that competitive spirit. Uh, want to hear your story and uh, share that with folks. But why don't we, um, I'll just kind of hand it over to you and tell us just a little bit about yourself. And then I'd love to hear the history of that, that you've been, you know, kind of the ups and the downs to, to where you're at today. And, um, you know, maybe even in the different types of motors, uh, vehicles that you've raced in the past. And because uh, I know you had some great stories about broken or bruised ribs. And uh, yes. So, yeah, I want to hear I want to hear some of this stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. It's nice. And I do wish you were racing with us. I miss uh, you being on track with us. I, 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 I really, really want to be there. So yeah, we, we need to, to get you back. Yeah. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a pharmacist by trade. It's what I used to do. And then I went into the biotech industry several decades ago. It seems like now it's probably 20 years. Um, that afforded me the opportunity to take on a lifelong dream that really started when I was a teenager. And that was to, to be a race car driver. Um, I grew up in the Southeast where NASCAR was a big deal, but sports cars were kind of always my thing. Um, I knew a lot of NASCAR people, but I always wanted to be, you know, an open-wheel IndyCar kind of person. And, and you know, the truth is, just like everybody who's got, you know, whether it's Little League or Pop Warner dreams of being a, uh, an athlete, a baseball or a football star, at some point reality sets in and you realize that, that you just may not have the pathway to get there. Mm. And frankly, for racing, that pathway includes money. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a lot more than just talent. You've got to have some sort of backing or money, and I didn't come from that. You know, I came from a middle-class family, and when I expressed to my parents sometime around the age of 16 that I wanted them to pack me up in an airplane and send me to California to do the Skip Barber or Bob Bondurant school, and I would get on this pathway to be a race car driver, they looked in the bank account and said, that's not happening. <laughs> you know, you need to plan some other way to get there. And that's what happened. I, you know, I tiddled around a little bit with a little bit of motorsport stuff when I was in high school and college. And then eventually, you know, as I got more mature in my career and started to have disposable income, the opportunity to pursue that, you know, came back to me. And it started out like many of us do with autocross. You know, SCCA solo is a great opportunity for anybody to get into motorsports. And I did that for a bit, but I really wanted something more competitive is mm -hmm. probably the right term although autocross is very competitive yeah. but there's something about stalking another driver <laughs> or being stalked 
yeah. on course. It, there's something about that particular interaction. And that's what it is, right? I mean, when somebody's in front of you, you've got to figure out where their weakness is or what they're doing better than you. I find myself, when someone is near me, in front of me, I somehow find extra speed that I just can't do by myself somehow. Yes. Yeah. And part of that's because you're watching what they're doing and you're learning from their actions and getting confidence from watching them. But So I, I then went um, from autocross into karting because I thought that carts were cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thought they were. Uh, yes, I, I mean, you know, little itty-bitty cars, they can't be expensive. And very quickly I realized that this was a very expensive endeavor. So I was 34, 35 years of age and getting into shifter carts. Okay. And most of the competitors that I had in shifter carts were 14, 15, 16 <laughs> years of age. So totally different, you know, level of fitness and fear and so forth. And, and, and you alluded to the fact that I had had a lot of rib problems. And I don't know if I just have a particularly you know, weak rib cage or a particularly poorly fitting seat, but you may or may not know this, but in a shifter cart, the only support you have is this wrap-around plastic or fiberglass seat. There's no harnesses, there's no roll cage or whatever, and so it's all about the, and they pull one and a half, two Gs, and so it's all pressure on your ribs. I broke rib after rib after rib, and it was just a situation where I was miserable all the time. And I realized that, you know, there was no Formula One career coming my way, and most of these kids had aspirations mm -hmm. for that. I was racing against people who truly, some of them, did end up in shifter car, or sorry, in, in open wheel, you know, high level motorsports. Um, about that time, SCCA was starting a new class called Spec Miata. And I found about it through some good friends, James Rogerson, who's here at the track today racing with us, and John Phillips, and I found out about this new class Spec Miata. It fit everything. It was actually much cheaper than karting. Uh, a lot safer because you're wrapped in this really strong cocoon of, of you know, fine steel and roll cage. Um, and I immediately just took to it. I started renting cars from a guy named Ara Malkasian, who owned Alara Motorsports. And then very quickly, I ended up buying a car from Mazda. Uh, it was one of the demonstrator models that they had basically built back in the day to do the 25-hour of Thunder. Okay, for specifically for racing then? Yes, it was, a, it was a, a Mazda Miata that they had, had taken off the street as a used car and built up as a race car, and I ended up buying that car, probably the best value I'd ever spent. And that car had a really good storied career for a number of years uh, until it got run off the track at, a, at one of my favorite tracks, Howlett Motor Speedway, and just outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at that point, it was demolished. And that was the end of it. And you wouldn't believe the number of calls that I, you know, I got. Was that really the original number ninety-one? Is it truly gone? It was, and it was. It was. That was the end of it. Um, I found a piece of it in my garage the other day, and it was kind of a moment to go back <laughs> through memory lane of that car. Um, I raced it at Laguna Seca. I raced it here at Rose Atlanta. I, you know, I raced that car all over the the country, and and I and I miss it. It was, you know, one of the originals. It was a, a great car. And then I have had two more Spec Miatas since that, but um, Spec Miata got kind of, um, first of all, it's extremely uh, competitive, as you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, but, but it also started to get kind of expensive in weird ways. As the cars got faster, they began to break more parts, and I was looking for something that returned back to the idea that you put the key in the ignition, crank it up, and go racing. Mm -hmm. And put it in the trailer, and two weeks later, put the key in the ignition, and go racing. And Spec Miata had sort of gotten away from that. Yeah or at least it felt like it did to me. Um, and that's when B-Spec came along. Mm 
And B-Spec is so fun because we're taking the slowest of the slow cars. As you know, we're getting the grocery getters, the Mazda yeah. 2, the Honda Fit, the Mini Cooper is kind of a, you know, a little bit of an overdog in the class from, from a design perspective. But there's nothing quite as fun as racing a slow car because it's all about momentum and skill. And there's nothing that you can do with the gas pedal that will make up for the mistake that you made going into or at the apex of the turn. So when did you start B-Spec? When, when was the first year you tried to, you jumped into that? 2016. Okay. So I was among the original B-Specers, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it had been a Pirelli World Challenge <clears throat> class for a few years at that point. And uh, I had crewed and been a crew chief for a Pirelli World Challenge team for a team. It was really just one guy. Um, but, but I did that for a little bit, and that certainly stoked my interest in B-Spec. What I love about B-Spec is that people like you and I get out on track, and as I've said before, it's like stalking. Mm -hmm. when, I, when you're in front of me, I am analyzing every move you make versus every move I make, trying to figure out how I get around you. And 99% um, of that is on my end. It's like this amazing requirement of precision. And in most sports or most fields of endeavor, you get your performance reviews on a sporadic basis. Mm -hmm. In racing, you get your performance reviews every second. Mm -hmm. Truly every second, you are aware of whether you did that well or didn't do that well. And that's what drives me in this particular field is that I get this immediate feedback of whether I'm good, decent, or not good. And some of that is whether I'm getting closer to you or further away from you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how tight the field can be. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you see some of the other classes, and they get all spread out pretty quickly. But there, there'll just be a, a big bunch of B-specs together, and, uh, you know, and, and, and they work better like that, too. Oh, yes. So so. We're faster together. Yeah. And, and that's always a big problem as well is when do I pop out and mm. try to take advantage of what I've learned by being around you yeah um, if I do it too early and you fend me off then then I've lost all this momentum and I've got to claw back to get back to you or I may never yeah. and at the same time there's almost always somebody behind me yeah. doing the same thing making the same calculus that I'm doing of where's Kent good where's he not so good oh he just took a dive at Kerry and it didn't work I've got him <laughs> And once they get you, usually they've got you. Yeah. And, and that's what makes this so challenging. It's very mental. Um, it is physically tiring. You get out of the car tired. You know, and a lot of that's just tension, right? But there's also the physical aspects of, of wrestling the car. And you do have to wrestle these. But mentally, it's very draining because of this constant hunt and hunted kind of uh, behavior that you're, that you're in. It also feels like, like you mentioned earlier, with these cars being slower, it's, it's really about the driver, not, not extra something underneath the gas pedal, right? And, man, the drivers are really good. I mean, it's, um, I think if you take somebody who's only driven fast cars, and they would, they would kind of scoff at the slow-driving cars, but I think that they would probably get outdriven, at least for a while. Oh, it's happened. I mean, we, we saw this in Spec Miata. Now, you know, Spec Miata is a stepping stone mm -hmm. for a lot of professional race car drivers. Mm -hmm. I, I watch, you know, IMSA and, and SRO racing on TV, and I go, yeah, I used to race against that guy. 
you know, back in, or that gal, back in the, in the days at Spec Miata. You know, yeah. I recognize a lot of these names. Um, yeah, it's, that's a real thing is this closeness of the competition and the fact that it's all about whether you can do this or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just started two years ago out of nowhere. I've always wanted to do it, but just had an excuse forever to, to, to not do it. I finally, like, literally at the time I was unemployed, and I still did it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love love it, love that I did it. And I, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Of course, I have the same aspirations. Oh, yeah, you know, just a couple years. I mean, not, not that soon, but you know, I'll be doing Formula One and these open-wheeled cars. And uh, that's not going to happen. I, you know, the, the money thing was... Uh, like the first like eye opener, just like there's there's so much money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, and then the, for the B spec though, it's been I, I just felt like I lucked into it because it it is so affordable mm-hmm. to yes. to go an entire season and travel to different places, and it's it's amazing. I think that you could lose a bumper on some of these other cars, and it would be more than the whole season of racing for B spec. That was a joke that back in the early days of Spec Miata was, what's the difference between racing a Porsche and a Spec Miata? It's impossible to spend 10000 on either of them. <laughs> yeah. Because everything on a Porsche is more than 10000 yeah. and, and the entire of Spec Miata was you know, $8,000 back in the day. Yeah. Now that has changed though, hasn't it? It has, but now B-Spec is there. I yeah. mean, so you know, B-Spec is in that area of, of you know, that plateau or that, that terrain now of the entry-level uh, low-cost. But anybody I know who's gotten into a B-Spec car from some other class of racing has gotten out with a serious case of the giggles. Uh, you know, we're often on three wheels. Sometimes we're on two wheels. There's a picture of me on one wheel. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been upside down. Yes, yes, uh, that was interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a, but the, the, the chances of getting seriously hurt doing this are, are fairly low. Yeah. Um, because of the safety uh, paradigm and culture that we have. Um, but you never feel like you're safe in the car. It's, you know, you're, when, you're, when you're teetering on the edge of disaster, you feel like you know, it's a very life and death struggle. And, yes. that's, and that's what drives us. It um, is interesting, these cars too, because they, they are not really meant to do the kind of no, things we're doing to them. Not at all. For B-Spec. Not at all. These, these are cars that are meant to go to people's houses and clean this house and that goes to the next house yes. and then clean this house. These are the kind of cars that take we're the kids to school, go get groceries. That's right. That's what these these are entry level cars. You know, but well, what's your what, so what's your plan now? You're you're you have two two cars, don't you? Or not? I actually have three, but oh. one of them's not in race trim yet. Yet, what is it? Mini. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so you have uh, Mazda you, two, a Honda Fit, yeah. and a Mini. All all B spec cars. Uh, the Mini's still a street car, but. It knows its days are numbered to have an interior. Got it. Got it. Yeah. When do you expect to have that ready for racing? Uh, probably late this year. Wow. Okay. So it's uh, soon-ish. Interesting. And I know that you know you and I are on the same race team with Chris Taylor Racing Services. Yes. Um, in the past, with all the other things you've done, did you did you have your own team? Were you on other teams? Were you just by yourself doing it? Um, I've never wanted to be by myself doing this because mm-hmm. um, while I can wrench reasonably well, I'm not as good as the pros. Yeah. And so I've, I worked with John Phillips racing for many years, and John's a great mechanic, and 
you know, that was, that was a superb uh, uh, way to go. Uh, I mentioned Alara Racing before, um, but I've been with Chris Taylor now for a couple, three years now, and uh, he's done a really good job uh, with the car and, and actually working with me to develop me a little bit more as a driver. So did you and I start the same time with Chris? Or did you have one season before I that? I think I was one or two seasons before you. Okay, so all right. I had, a, I had a little head start on you. You've developed really well over time. I mean, you started out struggling a bit. Mm. And, you know, I think we, we talked a lot about your struggles on track. And Yeah, you know, we did. Everyone, was, everyone chipped in to help. And uh, my biggest thing is I'd never driven a front-wheel drive car. Oh, and that's so that's the different. other thing that's so different about these B-Spec. All, all of them are front-wheel drive cars, yes. right? And, um, you know, you got to gotta keep your foot in the gas when you're starting to lose it, yes. not let up. And I, my initial gut reaction from rear-wheel drive cars is you let off on the gas. And I, it was just, I was fighting that tendency, really, for the first two seasons a lot. I, a little bit better towards the end of the second. Yeah, one. you've developed well. Muscle memory is a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you, you learn these habits and these uh, reactions that become kind of innate and, and you know, at the limbic or, or mm -hmm. some level that, that less cognizant or, or, you know, thoughtful of how you do things. And eventually you have to beat that self out of you. And, and that's part of what makes this sport so fun and so challenging is that you have to beat back things that are reflexive. You have to take things that are reflexive and push them down and replace them with behaviors and and thought processes that are that are that make you fast. Yeah, yeah. There's everyone's looking for speed or traction, right? And uh, and and the and the other thing that you that you've got to look for, and this is what's hard, is sometimes you've got to learn, learn to have precision. Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize what a sport of precision this is. Yeah, whenever I talk to people who really experience, they're talking about markers that they use to know exactly where the tire goes on the track and exactly when they shift and exactly where they start braking. And I can tell I'm still doing it by intuition, which, yes. which means it's not consistent. Yes. Yeah. So um, one other way to get involved in the sport, just to put a plug out for the, for the other people who make this possible, um, there at this track today, there are probably a hundred people working at the corners, waving flags, rescuing, doing those sorts of things, and they're they're the you know the, the heart and soul of, of SCCA racing, and I'm grateful that they do this. I've been a flag worker as well. I've flagged professional races as well. And there's no better way to get close to the action. At the second um, IndyCar race in downtown Houston, when they raced in the streets of downtown Houston, I was one of the safety workers. And I was standing at a little gap in the wall. So it has the, the concrete barriers, and there's a little gap to let you run out and theoretically pull somebody out of a car or whatever. And Sebastian Bourdais was racing around. This was as it went around the Astrodome, a big you know, sweeping yep. turn. And he would pass by this little gap in the wall. There was a little spot on the track, like a little piece of tar or something that had darkened and changed the color. And I watched every time as his left rear wheel touched that spot in the exact same space every time yeah and and this is this may have been one of those demoralizing moments in my life when i realized that i probably would never have the precision to, the ability to do what this professional athlete does which is touch that exact spot on the track lap after lap after lap at 160 miles an hour 
That and the car's changing and the track's changing and they're making the adjustment real time. Yes, and still hitting that ideal mark yeah. on the track every time. Yeah, and I and I don't have that. If I did, I, I you would be you know talking to me as a professional race car driver, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm just a, a you know an experienced amateur who has a really good time at this. Um, that discipline of thought process and and precision and finding those marks and all that is something I still challenge myself with, and something I'm not great at. Sometimes somebody will say, "Well, I use this marker as my as my you know." To, to know when to break, and I think I have never realized that's even there. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, but then I realize I have other ways that I, I do things. Um, one of the things I've really worked hard on over the last few years is controlling where my vision is. And there are some turns and some tracks where I intentionally get focused on a specific spot, and I, like, block out everything else until I get that spot to the right place and then I flip my head up and turn to look through the turn and that's how I get through that turn. And I'm sure you've experienced that as well. You've got to figure out how to trick your mind and brain into doing the things that you need to do to be fast. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's definitely some corners I've been around that I, I, I just I didn't think I could keep it full gas around the corner, and it just you know, just take a deep breath, and um, and then once you do it once, then it's then it's good and it feels a little bit better the next time and the next time and the next time. But um, until the tires start to go off, yes, and yeah. then what worked at the time before doesn't work the next time. Yeah. Or you're, uh, or there's oil on the track. Yeah. I and haven't hit oil, thank goodness yet. I know I will. Oh gosh. Yes. Um, so, um, I, there's another interesting aspect about B-Spec, maybe about many of the classes that happen to race in a CCA is, uh, sometimes there isn't, an, there's a lot of classes and sometimes not enough cars to fill a mm -hmm. racetrack. And they like to try to just put one class at the at a time on the right. track, but tell tell people uh, like in our situation for B spec, they usually match us with another one, but they they do it in a smart way, to where or you best know, best that can be th done. That's right, best yes. can be done. So describe to people what that is like, because most people think all these cars are the same, they get on, they're equal. No, there's two races happening at the same time. Or three. Yeah. Or three. Um, so B-Spec is the slowest, second slowest class in, in SCCA. Top speed ever. Um, top 121. In a B-Spec? Before the restrictor plates okay. got so small. Okay, so man, that was, you know, they've, we've slowed them down a little bit to, to make them more equal, but the 121 was, you know, where we were, you know, Four or five years ago. Okay, wow. So maybe 111 or something like 111 that 111 is kind of the target speed now because yeah. that's what the slowest car in the class can do. But some of the cars we are sometimes paired with are, you know, legitimate 160-mile-an-hour cars. Yeah. And 
um, there was a Sebring earlier this year. I had a live camera in the car, and SCC was broadcasting. And one of the announcers made the comment, "He sure is looking around a lot, or you know, <laughs> he's watching his mirrors." Like, well, you have to, yeah. because at these closing speeds, you can clear your six, check your mirrors halfway down a straightaway, and if you don't do it again rigorously, right as you turn into the next turn, you may find that there is a car or two cars there, mm-hmm. and that certainly adds to the challenge. And of course, they have the same challenge with us, right? They come out on the straightaway and they go, oh, man, I'm going to catch this person right here. How am I going to handle that? Are mm-hmm. they going to see me? You know, all this stuff. Yes. Yeah. Is, is possibly At this very track, uh, probably 10 years ago, there's a race called the American Road Racing Championship. It's ARC. And I was in my spec Miata, but you could double dip. And I double dipped in a class called STL, or Super Touring Light. That was paired with GT1 at that race. So GT1 are the Camaros, the Corvettes, mm-hmm. usually retired professional race cars, you know, the, the ones that you see at Le Mans and such. Legitimately 160, 170 mile an hour cars at this track. And I realized when I looked at the times that I was going to get lapped every four and a half laps. <laughs> and that the close, it was going to happen on that back straight where they're doing 170 miles an hour. Now the flaggers do a good job. They have a blue flag and they show you the blue flag when you're about to be overtaken. They did a fantastic job. Um, and I got lapped every four and a half laps. And this same pair of cars kept coming around me. And they were dicing and battling. And on the last lap, I realized they were going to catch me coming through the bridge. So if you're not familiar with Road Atlanta, there's a, there's a little left-right complex. And you come up the hill and you shoot through this little postage stamp window, it seems, where the bridge, all you can see is trees and sky on the other side. And you dive down this hill to a right-hand turn. Um, 90 degree turn at the bottom of the hill. And I knew that those two gentlemen were going to catch me at the bridge. And they were going to be doing 50 miles an hour faster than me, and they were dicing for the win. I thought, this is not where I want to (laughs) be. So on that last lap, right as we got to the bridge, and they were indeed catching me, I did not want to go down the hill with those two dicing around me for the victory. So I just ducked off into the pits. Wow. I was in last place in STL. The spec Miata was not really competitive in that class. But I made the decision to, you know, pull the ripcord and, and parachute out of that situation. So did, did, did they know you or did they know you and did they say anything? They found me. They came to me in the paddock and said, thank you. <clears throat> Yeah. We, you know, we were terrified that this was going to be, you know, because that's a scary turn. And the, and the two of them coming down that turn you know, at that speed with me somewhere in the middle of that had the potential to, you know, ruin everybody's day. Yeah. And, and there's so much to hit. And, and, you know, as I was pulling in the pits, I could hear the announcer on the PA system say, hey, wow, Kent Carter, what a gentleman, you know, pulling off to the pits to let these two, you know, go side by side down the hill to the win. The last place I wanted to be was the third car in that yeah. in that in that mix. Yeah, yeah. And and they they like I said they they sought me out and they were like so grateful. That yeah, that's I, good. I'm glad they did. Such, I mean, they that they recognized that you that you pulled out of the way for them. Absolutely, I would do it again. I mean, so what is your plans for the future? You're gonna race forever. You want to stay in B spec. Um, you got three cars now. How are you gonna race three cars? Well, I rent two of them out. So if you know somebody who wants to get into B spec. I think you would agree that this is an incredibly welcoming community. Um, This is an entry-level class in many ways. So if somebody wants to get their feet wet uh, in racing, this is a great place to start. It's also a great place to be. You know, it's definitely a stepping stone if people want it to be, but it's also just a great place to come out and have fun with cars. Yeah, it has been for me, and I don't really have... I want to drive other cars just to drive other cars. Sure. But 
I want to get better in B-Spec, right? Because it's I so want, hard. I want, to, I want to be more competitive in B-Spec. Yes. That's, that's important to me. And the good, the good thing about being new is um, I bettered my time every track, every time I've gone out. And, I mean, the kinds of times, I mean, I'm, I'm beating my best time by, like, five seconds or six seconds, which is a lot. Yes. Um, and... I don't know that I'll get those kind of gains in the future. So. Well, it's, you know, there's a little asymptotic sure. thing to it. You get, yeah. you know, like in every sport, you get to the point where you're reaching the, the limit of your abilities. And every once in a while, you have this, you know, eureka, and you find some new plateau that you can get to. But most of us find some sort of a, you know, this is where we are able to be. Um, where do I intend to go? I don't know. I mean, as I get older, my reflexes will slow down and I'll become less skilled, less capable as a driver. I mean, I'll have skills, but there's, you know, there's this yin and yang between skill and, and ability, and you'll lose some of those abilities as I get older. Um, it hasn't gotten to the point yet where I feel like I'm losing that. Mm-hmm. I still feel sharp on track, but I look at some people out here and I realize they're not sharp anymore. Yeah, We run across them all the time, and... Um, do I want to be that person? I don't yeah. know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I may want to be that 75-year-old doddering <laughs> around on the track making people, you know, wave their hands at how <laughs> slow and unpredictable they are. I, I don't know if I want to be that or not. Yeah. I, I may. I got, I got a lot of soul searching to do before I get there, and hopefully I've got a few years before my, my faculties decline to that point. Um, do I switch gears to become an official or, mm. you know, become a steward? Do I uh, become more of a mentor? I've played the mentor and coach role through the years off and on. And it's always been fun to see that people I've had the opportunity to coach have gone on to be much better drivers than me. You know, so sometimes you find that you're a better coach than you are a player. That's certainly true in most sports and most endeavors. Um, Don't you already do some coaching? Some, yeah, some. In Houston? But, yeah, a little bit. And uh, at this point, is B-Spec pretty much where you think you'll be, or do you anticipate racing in some other class? I don't know. Um, there's a new class called C-Spec that we're trying to develop, which is basically the next level up of cars, not level in, in speed so much, but just slightly bigger. Oh. So the Toyota Corollas, the Jettas, you know, those cars. That, the, those cars are now getting to the point where they're the last generation of affordable manual transmission cars and are starting to show up in the insurance auctions and so forth. We have a plan to turn those into race cars. So maybe that'll be the next place I go just to help grow that class and mm. get people involved in that. They may actually be less expensive to run than B-Spec just because there's more of them out there. Um, but yeah, do I, do I go back into doing more coaching? I don't know. Or do I level up and do some other kind of car? Uh, I've done Spec Racer Ford before. That's fun. I could go back to that. Do I go back into endurance racing? I've done a lot of endurance racing through the years. Do I get back on an endurance racing team? Um, I don't know. I mean, that is probably the one place where I see my faculties slipping is I don't, see my, I don't feel like my night vision is as good as it once was. <clears throat> and just for everybody who's, who's listening or watching, just the endurance essentially means it's just a, a certain length of time for each race. Well, I've done a lot of the 24s. Yeah. I used to be the night guy. You know, I used to be the person that you put in the car at, at night because I had good night vision and, and so forth. And that's, you know, that's a different challenge. You know, the 24 hours Le Mans and Daytona and those sorts of things, obviously that's never to the level I'm going to be at. 
but I have done some of the, the 24 hour races and you know, there's something about driving between 4 and 6 a.m. that's pretty magical. <laughs> you know, seeing the sky start to lighten up. and Just waking up at that time is one thing. To be in a race car when it happens, that's something yeah. else. That's a great place to wake up, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. But there's something magical about coming out of a cold, dark night and seeing the sky begin to get brighter. And, and, and I, I don't know, do I go back to that? There's well, so many different ways to enjoy this sport. yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of people that maybe don't race, but they just love the kind of the, the family uh, attitude and nature and the camaraderie that goes along. I mean, all these people know each other. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's, yeah. the, it's a lot of the same folks you see around the nation at different tracks. Hmm. Um, you know, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, I suppose. Um, but uh, I, I found that the, the, the B-Spec community actually is, is pretty tight. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you and I behave this way on track as well. We're, we're hard competitors on track. We give each other all the room we deserve and, and, and another half inch, but nothing more. Because I want to beat you, and you want to beat me. And, and I'm fine with that. But when we get off the track, we tend to turn that off. Yeah. You know, yeah. we can be angry at each other. I don't think you and I have ever been angry at each other before, I've never but... been angry at you. Maybe you've been angry at <laughs> No, me. I don't remember ever being. But, I mean, certainly good friends of mine, and we've come off the track hot at each other. Hmm. And, I mean, there's a guy right now I'm hot at with, and we've been hot for a couple months now. And I'm hoping that once we get this all settled out, we'll stop being hot at each other. Yeah. You know, in fact, I went up to him today and chatted with him a little bit just to try to, you know do my little part to throw an olive branch into the mix. I mean, I'm still protesting him for something he did at a previous race. Mm -hmm. And if I win the protest, that'll be the end of it. If I lose the protest, that'll be the end of it. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, I want us to play by the rules. So um, I asked you this earlier. And so if if you don't have something, it's okay. But I am interested to know if there's just an interesting story that that you could share with uh, something that you've done related to, to the racing. Well, I think the story about the the arc race of being tangled in with the GT1 cars was is to me is interesting yeah. because of that realization that there's a race going on and you're not in it. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a moment of humility, right? Where you say there's a really important race going on and what I'm doing at this moment is really beneath what they're doing and I need to get myself out of the way. Um, I think that was an interesting story. Yeah, I like I, it too. Yeah. That cuz a lot a lot of people may not do that, right? They get caught up and and who knows, maybe you were on your best lap ever and you're just wanting to drop your time. And sometimes, you know, I know for me, my goal isn't to win. That's not realistic right now, but it is realistic for me to always get better. I mean, it, for me, I've, I'm really driven to get better every single time. I've got to find a way to get better. And then Eventually, when I've done that enough times, then then I can start thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe I can actually win this thing. The other thing that's hard, Carrie, is that um, there are times when it's not you; it's the car. Yeah. And and it's hard sometimes to know whether it's you or the car. I had that happen at Road America a few years ago. Um, the car was just evil, and it was truly just trying to kill me. <laughs> Every time I get on the brakes, it was all over the place. And we looked at it and said, there's nothing wrong with the car. You just need to drive it. And I thought, the car just feels really strange. Turns out there was a, a damaged part in the suspension that, that you know, was sort of hiding from us. 
And then once we replaced that part, oddly, I had to relearn how to drive the car because I had been compensating for the car's twitchiness under braking. And once it stopped doing that, I had to stop doing this with the wheel in the braking zones because the car was no longer needing that. Yeah. And so that's a challenge too, is, is it me or is it the car? And you got to have a balance in your approach to that because if you're always blaming yourself for it and it is the car and you need to go through the car with a fine tooth comb, you'll never get better. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, if you're always blaming the car and not being introspective about your driving and looking at the data and figuring out whether you suck or not suck. Yeah, there's so many aspects of it. I mean, um, like rain for one instance, like just that it's like people say it's the equalizer and, um, you know, I've, I've gotten the chance to be in rain a couple of times and it was not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. So yeah. it, it's, there's so many factors involved with it. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to tell you that I appreciated your mentoring and advice and I don't know where you store all this information in your head, but it, you seem to know every fact about every part on every car for every year and every rule. So I'm just really good at Google. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I don't see you reaching for Google when I ask you questions or anybody else asks you questions. So um, it has uh, been a pleasure racing so far, and I, I definitely want to beat you. That's for sure. <laughs> I think you have. No, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that's true. I think, I think you've beaten me before. I, in fact, I remember, I can't remember what track it was, but you just absolutely were beaming that, that you beat me. Oh, and well, I was so furious about I sh- it. I and wish then, I remembered. And then I was grateful that, that you did so well. <laughs> you're, you're hard on yourself. I mean, that, that's, and that, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. But there are times when I think, and I am too, by the way. I mean, if, if you ask, you know, if you see me get out of the car and I haven't had a good day, yeah. I'm immediately blaming myself. <laughs> and then I and then I kind of have to circle back and say, okay, now were there other factors involved? You do the same thing. You're hard on yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, I just have to get better. I just, it's one of my, so one of my big personal things is the... I've always got to be better than what I was yesterday in some way. So, so I fill my days with little bitty wins because wins give me confidence and, and keep everything positive for me. And, um, you know, dropping your time on a track is a really indi- good indicator that something went better, right? Yeah. And you mentioned it may just be the car, maybe the weather, but um, it's always going to be a combination of those things. So... It's, it's a huge, huge win for me whenever I can Well, I mean, and, and to some degree, the car becomes easier to adjust when the driver becomes more precise. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, the, if, if you know that you're doing the same thing every time and the car's not responding well, then you can adjust the car. If you're scattered and you're all over the place, there's no business trying to adjust the car to that. Yeah. Unless the car is just so bad that it's causing you to be inconsistent. That's a real challenge too, is knowing when to call out the car. Yeah. And but you know, you're you're the the optimist and the eternally better, and I'm kind of the pessimistic optimist <laughs> or the optimistic pessimist. Um, I'm always about all the things that can go wrong. <laughs> and and that's and I beat myself up in a different way with that. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm I'm the one who gets out of the car thinking it's all me. Um till I look at the data. And you're like, you oh know, I I did better than I thought. Well, or, yeah, actually, that's that's hilarious because um, at the last race at Circuit of the Americas, um, 
my transponder did not work, so I did not get a time. But I also kind of lost sight of where I was in the field because I, I spun on the outlap. It was cold, and I, I lost touch with the field, and I drove so hard. And at the end of it, I felt like my lap times were horrible. And I got out of the car. I, I said to, to Chris, I was like, we got to change the chassis setup completely. The car is horrible. I'm horrible. Everything's horrible. This is horrible. And, and, and he says, well, what are your lap times? Because I, you know, I couldn't see you on the scoreboard because you're transponder. I said, I have no idea, but the car is horrible. I'm sure I'm just absolutely dead last. We pulled the data from my car, from the data system in the car, and I was third fastest. But to me, when I got out of the car, I was awful. And the car was awful. And so that's my personality, right? I just beat myself up so hard sometimes about these things. And then I realized, I'd be fine. That's the beauty of this, right? Because this stuff is hard. Yeah. Racing's really hard. Yeah. But it's also a lot of fun. But that's oh what makes gosh. it fun. It's so it's, much fun. It's so fun. And it's and it's not just the it's the precision we were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I coach people, especially the new people, I say, don't worry about anything else other than getting the line right. Once you get the line right, the speed just flows. It just comes out of the car. And that's what I have to remind myself every time. Hit your marks. Pay attention to your line. Be smooth. Keep focused. Um, Every once in a while when I'm chasing somebody down, and I'm impressed by something they're doing, I'll start to copy it, and I'll start singing that song, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. <laughs> and that clears my head. So I've got this you know, this little mantra going in my head, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. And that's how I chase people down. And then i got to figure out how to get around them. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> Which, the by thing. the way, is a whole other topic, right? Because yep. yep. catching is one thing, getting around them is another. But this is a great sport. I encourage people to get involved. It's a welcoming, welcoming community. Um, I think any of us are ready to help other people get involved. Yeah. Um, when I publish this, I'll make sure to put contact information in there in case somebody wants to reach out and potentially rent one of your cars. That'd be great. Or just get them involved in the SCCA. Yeah. I mean, you know, Yeah. go, go grab the wheel, get here. Uh, have the confidence, take that first step. We will hold your hand and push you, you know, push you onto the track. Yeah. And I want to make sure that people know that I'm, I'm not doing this on behalf of SCCA. I happen to be a member. Nor am I. And yeah. but just is um, just kind of talking about the organization that we're part of. Because um, yes. Well, thank you so thank much you. for your time. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to Let's seeing. Get you back on track. I I can't wait. <laughs> Let's do it. I want to thank you for listening or watching Drive to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope that we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. I absolutely love hearing from you, and I promise I'll personally respond to every comment, every question, and every request. If you want to connect, start with our website, driventocompete.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Whether you reach out or not, please like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, Go kick some ass.